Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. People today online tend to build trust by seeing the unincentivized feedback of their peers. We don't tend to trust a particular brand. We don't trust algorithms. We don't trust all this kind of shady ownership and behind the scenes dealings. What we trust is being able to clearly see what our peers think about a particular product or service or experience. And so that's really at the heart of what we're trying to bring into the news ecosystem. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital media and the people who make it. Today, I'm on the phone with Chase Palmieri, CEO of Tribeworthy.com, which he describes as Yelp for news consumers. Welcome to the podcast, Chase. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, you reached out to us. We, we talked about this before the mics go on, but I want I want to get everybody in and sort of up to speed about about this conversation. Um, you've been a, a long-time listener of the podcast, which is great. I'm happy to hear. And you had followed us on uh, Twitter, and then I saw Tribeworthy.com. What's that? And so I checked out your site. And I had, I had a little hesitation about having you on the podcast. I try not to be a, a news snob on the podcast. I try to be open, especially, you know, because I feel like in a lot of cases I'm advocating for, you know, a lot of the great things that digital journalism is, is allowing us to do as journalists, but also is allowing the public to do the fact that we're able to, you know, that everybody's able to sort of comment and, and, you know, speak their own uh, message and, and have a voice in the news and everything. So when I first looked at it, I was looking at it with my old journalism eyes and I was thinking, Triworthy, uh, you, you know, using Yelp to, to, to measure what's fake news and what's real news. And, and so I was really kind of grumpy about it and, and didn't jump out of it. But you reached out to me and, and we talked a little bit and I feel much better about it. So here we are about to have our conversation. So Yelp for news consumers. So first, how did Triworthy come about? To get there, I'd have to step, take a step back and explain that uh, Go ahead. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, actually. And that's what I went to school for. And when I came out of school, I didn't want to do what my parents were doing, which was basically starting businesses just to pay the bills. I wanted to try to solve some big problem. I work at my father's restaurant and I run the Yelp campaign for his restaurant. And we've had this restaurant for over 10 years now. And so I've seen how Yelp actually changed the environment for restaurants and how they operate and how they think about customers and feedback and how it's basically raised the standards. And in our case, uh, because we actually do provide a good restaurant experience, it's actually led to more customers coming through the door because they're able to identify which restaurants are good and which aren't. And so I was wondering, as an avid news consumer, I kind of call myself a news junkie, why I'm not able to leave any of this feedback online articles or leave any kind of feedback or accountability to the authors and news outlets. And so I started thinking about why that is and uh, how that review process would work. And uh, media literacy became kind of the North Star. And then I was able to get a team together. We're a team of about six people right now. And we started cracking away on building out a platform. Okay, so how does how does Triborthy work? Can you sort of describe the you know how it sort of rates stories and how people are sort of able to provide feedback? 
Right. So the gist of it is that right now the media uses metrics such as likes, shares, and ad revenue, all these things that we kind of refer to as vanity metrics or traffic metrics. And what's interesting is that you have this entire industry and there's not actually a metric for these organizations who need to be able to measure their success because they're for-profit businesses, most of them. There's not really a metric to gauge the people's trust or the quality of their journalism. And so what Triworthy does is it's a platform where users can actually contest flaws within some of these online articles. And you can also give positive feedback to the authors. But the idea is that users are pointing out potential problems within online articles to warn the next user. So right now, when you're gathering information online, you land on an online article, say you read the first paragraph and you you find some strong bias or some strong political agenda, the first thing you do is you exit out of that page. And what you've essentially done is you've left the next reader just as vulnerable to that online article. But what we're doing is we're allowing you to essentially tag a problem, the problem that you found, to the URL of that online article so that the next person that lands on that article can at least see what other people are saying about the quality of the journalism on that piece. Now, you gave an example of, you know, something that had had some sort of political bias. You know, is that the main thing that you're looking for? What other types of things are, are you allowing people to sort of rate or comment on? So I guess I'll walk you through briefly the review process. So when you come to an article, you can either select trust or contest. And when you contest an article, it brings you to four main categories, which is bias, illogical, not credible, or a mistake. So if you found a, that the author was using a particular logical fallacy, you would select illogical, and then you could actually select the particular logical fallacy, red herring, straw man, and you would actually be able to tag that fallacy to that article so that the next user that comes to that article can see that perhaps the author was using that type of uh, logical fallacy or, or an appeal to emotion to try to manipulate the reader. So besides just the illogical, there's also the bias. So under the bias section, you would have things such as political agenda, financial incentive, gender bias, racial bias, religious bias, nationalist bias. So none of these, as you may have noticed, are not, they're not left or right-wing biases. They're just identifying articles with authors that are using some kind of a political agenda. Okay. So did was your inspiration to sort of do this now is sort of in reaction to a lot of the, the headlines that came out of the most recent election about the, the election process, uh, this idea that uh, fake news had some impact on on the election, on the news that people were were getting through like Facebook and, and other places, there you know the preponderance of stories that that had no basis in fact, or was that kind of the stuff that inspired you to do this? Actually, no. Believe it or not, we've been working on this since January of 2016, well before the uh, fake news hysteria became mainstream. What was going on is during college, my friends and I, we were kind of a gathering on Facebook in this Facebook group of news junkies, and we would post stories and we would talk to each other and discuss problems within that news story and kind of identify these flaws in these articles, which is kind of what led to 
tribe-worthy and crowd-contested media, which is what we're calling this, this new category. So the idea was that we were working together on these Facebook groups to identify what were the credible sources, what were the problems with the information being presented, what was the spin, and these kinds of things. And we found it incredibly useful to work together uh, on these uh, as we're gathering the news, which is also why I think a lot of people enjoy gathering their news from Facebook these days is because they can see on the article what other people that they know are thinking and feeling and commenting about that article. But we also know that Facebook probably isn't the best place to be gathering our news from. So we want to take the good parts of Facebook, which is being able to see what other people are saying and thinking and critiquing on these articles, but bring it to a platform that is purely focused on news. Okay. I guess my, my main concern about something like this let me address it in two ways. One, with Facebook, one of the other parts of the the fake news concern and actually the news consumption aspect of it is that a lot of people, you know, they they unfriend people, they they hide certain type of content that doesn't agree with their political stance, and so they end up creating a curation system on, on Facebook that really only matches their particular ideology. And so they're only viewing a certain sort of thing and they're only sharing. And part of the problem that a lot of people were criticizing around election times is people were spreading fake news, even though they may even have known that it was fake because it, it supported their particular political bent. And, you know, that's concerning when, you, when, you, when you're dealing in that environment. I don't think necessarily this is what you're particularly addressing. You're, you're more looking at the actual, you know, trying to ascertain whatever particular stories you are, you, you have are true or not. So I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what that has to do with, with the question I'm going to ask. But my initial concern about what Tribeworthy was, was I, I was concerned that a particular side would somehow be able to sort of skew an article that, you know, in going through a process like this, they would rate it. Oh, well, this is biased. This is biased. I think it's reasonable to, you know, hold a news organization their feet to the fire about the way they they report something and any potential bias in a story. My concern is sort of a system like yours being hijacked and being able to to use to sort of quash down an opposing opinion. Right, and that's actually usually the first concern or criticism that people have when learning about our platform. As for the news feed, which you began the question with, uh, we are different in the sense that not every user has an individual feed. So there's only one feed on Tribeworthy, and essentially people are reviewing these online articles, which are creating the ratings for the articles, and that creates a feed uh, on the homepage that everyone uses. And on that feed, we actually don't show initially the author or the news outlet that created the publication for the exact reason that we're trying to get out of these filter bubbles and echo chambers. We want to open people up to new news sources and new content. So the idea is, unlike Facebook, where some of their solutions being proposed are algorithms or censorship or hiding certain stories from your newsfeed, we believe that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And so we want everybody to critique every article. Even the most satirical article can live on our platform, but the ones that are going to make it up to the top on the homepage 
are going to be the ones that the most people are tending to find objective and significant. As for people possibly swaying the ratings of uh, articles based on their political, their own political biases, as mentioned earlier, the most you could do to kind of hurt or bring down an article would be to claim that it has a political agenda as a particular bias. And so you can't even identify it as a right or left-wing bias. So it, you can say that an article has a bias, a political agenda behind it, and the idea is that in doing so, we're going to allow the articles that don't speak from that perspective to rise to the top so that people can more quickly find online the most objective and significant articles of the day. Okay. All right. Well, that that sounds. You said a couple of things that are that really please me. One of which is sunlight is actually the best cure for a lot of this transparency. Right. And part of the transparency that newsrooms employ, good newsrooms, is when they do have it wrong, they they run corrections, they they change stories. Is there a way for you to reflect that in your ratings? Yes, absolutely. So what we'll be doing is we'll show when an article has been edited, and we will have a different rating displayed for pre-edit and post-edit. But at the same time, we do want the edited article to be critiqued. So if an author posts an article and it's not necessarily ready, which we see a lot of times, authors post articles, they hear the first round of feedback from users, and then they make an edit, and then they promote it again. Well, we don't think that that's right. So we do want the rating of that article to take a, a small hit, and therefore we want the authors and news outlets to think twice about just pushing out content and trying to be the first to get the content out there. We want them to have to really make sure that when they do put it out, that it's not going to be viewed with any particular problems, mistakes, logical fallacies, or biases. Okay. Officially at this point, now I'm on your side of the fence. And I'll tell you, I'll <laughs> okay, tell you, right. I'll tell you why. The podcast that we're going to be posting the episode before this one uh, is a conversation I had with Danny Ha of uh, Discus. I say discuss, I mean discuss the commenting platform. And we had a really good conversation about, you know, trolling about how different newsrooms are using commenting or, or also, unfortunately, how a lot of newsrooms are turning off their commenting. And what I like about what you're doing is you're sort of empowering those voices who are either getting shut out or don't have the, the opportunity to address the newsrooms. The fact the newsrooms really can't run away from their audience because for so long, because, you know, we were the broadcasters, we were the ones who were the gatekeepers of the information, you know, you're going to, we're going to tell you what's important and you're going to like it. And maybe you'll send a letter into the editor. And if we get it, maybe we'll run it. Maybe we'll read it. Who knows? But now that we're in a, in a digital environment where people have instant access to the news that you post online instantaneously, and they can react however they wish to. And you can shut the, shut voices off and reactions. You could cut, shut down your comment line. You could, you know, block people on your Facebook page. But there is a value in that dialogue between your audience. And when you get something wrong, it's important that it, in a very public way, it is shown that you're wrong. So I think what you're doing is is admirable and is the, the is a good step for us to get better news. Good journalists should be prepared for, you know, tough criticism on the work they do because the work we do is so important. It needs to stand up to this type of scrutiny. 
Right. And what you said actually brings me to an interesting point. So, and I think you were kind of hinting at the fact that a lot of these news outlets are starting to remove their comments sections. And so what that really means is that they're relying more and more heavily on their traffic metrics, their likes, clicks, shares, and advertising revenue. What we're doing is not something to hurt content producers. What we're actually doing is creating a tool that should actually empower content producers because they're finally going to get constructive criticism from their users in the sense that they're going to finally learn at every turn, where they lost the trust or the confidence of each user. So nowadays, authors may decide to read through their comment sections on an article, but even still, that's not very constructive criticism. But if you can go in to a portal, just like Yelp business owners do to collect their feedback, if you can go in as an author or a news outlet to your portal and get real-time feedback and see, oh, this user reviewed this article as having this particular type of logical fallacy, well, that's some really rich feedback right there. And so we're hoping to actually empower these content creators to see where they're losing people's trust, because that is the real big problem that we're, we're talking about and addressing here is, is user trust. And so we're trying to create this new metric that aligns the interests of news consumers and news producers. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a good thing to do. One of the things about my conversation with Danny Ha was uh, he was talking about sort of the next generation of their commenting iterations where they will allow people to like stories or rank stories or, you know, give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to a particular story. It's sort of a, a different sort of a enriching aspect of, you know, the way people react to stories. I know that my experience here at Federal News Radio, and I talked about this in the, in the, the uh, Danny Ha conversation is, you know, being more active in monitoring the comments, in monitoring our, our Facebook comments for a lot of different reasons. One, you know, it, it enriches the conversation around your stories. It helps you to build better read, reader engagement. And then also, you know, you get stories from that, from that as well is, you know, people will, will bring up a point or an angle to a story that you've written that you didn't write, write about. But, you know, bottom line, the important thing is if you get something wrong, it's important that you get, get it wrong, that you acknowledge that it's wrong, and then you make that change and do all of that in the sunlight so that people gain that trust. And, you know, I think that you're creating sort of a platform that, that allows that to happen. Right. And something interesting that we're doing differently with our comment section is when you select that problem, so you say that there's a, a straw man fallacy in this article. What you do is, unlike most comment sections where you can comment and then reply to comments and you can leave multiple comments, what your comment is, is essentially it's an explanation. We're putting your, your first name next to your review, so it would say, Michael reviewed this article as having a straw man fallacy, and then you get one comment, and your comment is just an explanation for how you found that problem inside of that article. So the comments are going to be a way for other users online to just kind of skim through the comment section and say, okay, let's see what people are saying about this article. Okay, this person, Michael says that there's a straw man fallacy. Let's hear his reasoning. And if you come up with a very solid, valid, logical conclusion as to how you found that problem in the article, well, then it's on that user that's looking at the rating page to decide for themselves. So just like Yelp doesn't tell you that you're going to have a five-star experience 
at this restaurant. And Rotten Tomatoes doesn't tell you you're going to love this movie 89%. It's feedback that becomes useful when deciding where to go eat or what movie to watch. And therefore, Triworthy is going to give you feedback that's going to be useful when deciding which articles to spend time reading, which sources to spend your time on. And it's hopefully going to make news gathering much more efficient. It's funny because you're you're actually talking about this problem, this issue from the consumer standpoint, and I'm talking about it from the, the journalist standpoint, right. and how we can each kind of learn from that. The other side of it is, that, yeah, I mean, are you going to be, are you going to trust a news outlet that has only a, you know, a 50 or 60 percent rating on a system like this, or, or one that has an 80 or 90 percent? And what's from, from the journalist standpoint you know, you know, why are we, you know, why are we at 45%? Why, why can't we be higher than that? You know, being able to look at evaluations and say, oh, well, maybe it's <laughs> because we need to improve our reporting and our transparency and, and get some of this bias out of our content. And then maybe we can bring that up. It's a way, way for us to sort of look at what we're doing. You know, one of the things I always try to argue about on this or advocate for is listening to your readers, you know, make decisions about, your content and listen to what they say that they want because people aren't, you know, you get this impression that people are, are stupid trolls because all, you know, a lot of the, the loudest yellers on, uh, on comment boards and on Facebook are, are stupid trolls, but there are a lot of people who are very smart, who read your content and have legitimate concerns about the stuff that you're talking about. And so, you know, when they tell you something, they want to know when they want to feel that you're listening to them. And, and so if you can do that and, and sort of grow the, your, your, your relationship with them, it's, it's much better for the content that you're creating and, and, and all the good things that happen down the line that, you know, you get more readers, you get greater engagement, you get more, you know, people coming to your website, more clicks, more, more ad sales, that sort of stuff. But it all begins with you having, having that conversation and listening, not just talking at people, but actually, you know, responding to what they, what they're saying. So when you rate an article, you're actually creating a rating for the author themselves because the author is the average of all of their content. And then you're actually creating a rating for each news outlet because the news outlet's rating is the average of all of their authors and all of the content that was produced under their name. Mm -hmm. So imagine having this tool as a news outlet. You're able to see, okay, well, we were getting this level of trust. We're at 80% trust ratings in this month. And in the next month, we can see, oh, we took a huge jump up in trust from our users when uh, author so-and-so uh, did those that three-piece story. Well, now we know that the users have a lot of trust in the way that that particular author is framing uh, arguments and producing news content. So as a news outlet, yeah, you might right now be able to see which author is getting the most clicks and the most read time, but you're not actually seeing which authors and stories in particular that your users have the most trust in. And so if we can show a news outlet a line graph that shows them each article and each author and shows them a line graph that they hopefully try to improve over time, then that's, a, that's an invaluable resource for any news outlet, much more useful than tracking likes and shares and views, all of these vanity metrics that don't actually tell you anything about the user's experience with your brand. Yeah, in a very broad way, if you look at data analytics and you look at your author list, you can begin to see which authors are getting the most clicks. But, you know, what does that mean? Is, did they write more 
stories that that month or did they write more stories that were particularly popular for for some other reason as opposed to whether they were trustworthy or not it could have been some sensational story that everybody kind of clicked on but having that sort of quality of you know what the reader is taking away from from that experience is really kind of useful so you know triborthy is is a is a startup so where are you guys at in your process oh uh, that's a great question so <laughs> did what's what we'd call our soft launch or our public beta two months ago and we've been iterating on the platform based on user feedback so we have a a great group of uh kind of trial and error users people that are helping us improve the platform and create a more sticky experience making everything about this new idea more clear and simplified and, and concise for a new user so that's really what we're at. Where we're at right now is we've had we have a public beta at triworthy.com. Every two to three weeks or so, we push out an entirely updated version of the site. What we're doing right now is really working on the onboarding process, the education of a new user, and uh, just making that review process as clean and easy and actually enjoyable as possible. And then soon, when the semester starts up again for classrooms across the country, we're going to make our big push into all of the media literacy classrooms, philosophy classrooms, journalism classrooms. And so that's going to be uh, one area of focus that will be coming up in the next few months. Cool. That's actually kind of a, a really neat neat approach. And, and you probably should also reach out to some of the journalism conferences, the journalism educator conferences coming up and, and, and try to make presentations in there, because I think this is the type of thing that, that people would be really interested in hearing about. So long term, what, what are your hopes for Tribe Worthy? Oh, wow. Long, long term. OK, so yeah, beyond next semester. Say, <laughs> right. So I would say long term. Well, let's look at Google for a second. So Google... <laughs> let's look at somebody big. Allows yeah. You, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Google allows you to find everything you want on the internet, right? If you have a question, you can find it. If you want to right. search for something, you can find it. What we hope to become is the middleman between you wanting to find something and then deciding which of that information that shows up is actually even worth your time or worth interacting with. So what Google did for search, we kind of want to do for trust. We want to help people make better decisions about what information they even choose to engage with in the first place online. And that's not through any form of censorship, but that's from gathering the feedback of other users in a way that's constructive and helpful. Cool. Well, Chase has been a really fascinating conversation. You, you got me on your side. Uh <laughs> I went into it with a little trepidation. I see what you guys are doing, and I think this is a really positive step forward in in promoting transparency and responsibility in, in journalism, but also from, from the other side is creating content that people can trust, which I think uh, everybody is on everybody's mind at the moment. The essential idea that we're building off of here that no other organization is even touching is the idea that people today online tend to build trust by seeing the unincentivized feedback of their peers. We don't tend to trust a particular brand. We don't trust algorithms. We don't trust all this kind of shady ownership and behind-the-scenes dealings. What we trust is being able to clearly see what our peers think about a particular product or service or experience. 
And so that's really at the heart of what we're trying to bring into the news ecosystem. Okay. Well, I think it's a good place for us to tie the bow and, and put the package out there. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Chase. Thank you so much, Michael. Next time on It's All Journalism. Brands, rather, are sort of opening up to the idea of sponsored content in a new way. They're not just seeing it as a place where, you know, they might be using storytelling to kind of sell in a backdoor sneaky sort of way. You know, they're not just pretending to tell a story so they could link to a product later, but they're actually embracing the power of storytelling, telling less branded stories, putting their values and their their beliefs as a company on display by giving other people the microphone, you know, talking about their community partners or their corporate social responsibility initiatives with the environment and things like that. So I think we've seen a much deeper level of storytelling from advertisers, particularly in the last year or so. In our next podcast, we talk to native advertising strategist Melanie Diesel about how more and more journalists are moving their media skills on over to the business side of the newsroom. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The Target USA podcast with your host, J.J. Green. Russia could render a huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. That could touch the whole of the United States. ISIS. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to see an attack. This is J.J. Green. Join me each week for the latest on U.S. and international security on Target USA. The Target USA podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Capital Culture Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Nania and Jason Fraley. We have a new podcast called Capital Culture. Each week we go in-depth with chefs like Marcus Samuelson and writers like Bon Appetit's Adam Rappaport. We'll also talk plays with Kathleen Turner, movies with Emma Stone, and music with Smokey Robinson. Not to mention some of your favorite WTOP voices. The Capital Culture Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.